Welcome to Active Discourse, the Technology Roundtable podcast. I am your Apple co-host, Brett. I'm Bo, and I'm just here for the nostalgia. So today we are going to be discussing one topic, which is the year of 2019 in review. It is a pretty big topic. It's huge. It's a whole year's worth. It's like 365 things. We're going to dig into that. So we're digging into it in November because in December, we want to discuss our plans for 2020. And if anything really major comes up between now and the end of the year, we'll discuss it in December. But most most companies have published their things that they're going to do for the year. And now they're just waiting for people to buy it for Christmas. And then the year ends and then January begins. Yay. So, uh, but first we're going to dig into follow-ups. So at the end of the last episode... I pitched kind of an impromptu and surprise challenge to you. Challenge? Gauntlet? Gauntlet, yes, to (laughs) continue evolving our show, which is to develop an outro music for the Active Discourse podcast. And I specifically asked if you could do this on your fancy new Samsung Galaxy Tab S6. So how did that go? Well, I lived up to the challenge, I feel. So it's I did it. Uh, and I used an Android app called Caustic, okay. which is essentially uh, DAW, Digital Audio Workstation. So it's similar to things like FL Studio or Ableton on, on desktops uh, or Logic Pro X, which is a, a yeah. Mac. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's got a sequencer. It's got several modules for synthesizers, drum stations, things like that. So it pretty much had everything I needed. And, uh, it's, uh, free if you don't need to save your songs or export. Uh, but it has a pretty low price of $10 to unlock the full version where you can save songs and export them to a few different formats. So, uh, you should be hearing that on the end of this episode. Awesome. And, you know, I actually haven't even heard it as of us talking right now. So true. I, d- I guess I didn't submit it before the episode. That's fine, though. We're gonna... I don't know if there was a hard. I'll, he- I'll hear it when we're when I'm uh, <laughs> editing this podcast and it'll be great. So yeah. you'll hear it uh, at the end of the show. So uh, next big thing to follow up on is I hope this is interesting at least, but, uh, you know, we'll talk about it probably at the end half of the year and then not really discuss it until summer next year. Uh, Operating system updates. uh, I find it fascinating. uh, And I'm curious to know when your Galaxy S9 is uh, scheduled to get Android 10 or at least a beta of it. I would love to know that information. (laughs) No concrete information yet, huh? There's nothing concrete about it. The... Um, I do know that the 10 series is starting to see that stuff, but it's not in sight for the S9 series. So we're probably looking at early 2020. Okay. Um, I would assume betas in January or February, yep. but I don't know for sure. You've still been getting security updates though, right? Yes. And actually I have one waiting on my phone right now. Yeah. <laughs> It's been bugging me for the past few hours, uh-huh. and it's just been postponed. But I've been, I've been putting it off. It'll force me. I understand or later. that concept. I've been doing that myself. So, uh, nice segue into my follow up on this topic. So, I I'll start with my own phone. So this has been interesting. So I don't. I'm still on iOS 12. I will likely update to 13 by the time uh, you hear us again in December. 
but still on 12 right now. Uh, and the interesting thing, so just re regarding the downloaded update, I have never run into an instance where Apple just stopped trying to give me the update. I've always basically just updated. And from what I've understood from my wife constantly getting accidentally updated to a new version of iOS, it seems like it's perpetual. You know, if you don't have it, Apple's going to download it and install it and, or at least bug you to do it. So I took it a little bit of a step further to avoid 13 by whenever it said, Hey, you have an update. I actually went and manually deleted the update every single time. And I think it downloaded, it downloaded several times, I think upwards of like five times or so. And I kept on d deleting it, deleting it, deleting it. And eventually Apple got the point and I have not been bugged to update since early October. It's awesome. Watch them never give it to you oh, ever, be, even when you want it. That would be wild. You're going to have to sideload. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's actually not been hard for me to keep my phone off of 13, um, and eventually it won't be necessary, which is going to be a great day. But unfortunately, almost everything else in my house has been accidentally updated to iOS 13. So uh, in the very dark days of 13.1, early 13.1, uh, my wife woke up one day and she said, oh, shit, it updated to 13. So, well, there was that. And that was in like, I think that was like right after we recorded our last show, <laughs> right when all the stuff was going down. So that, that sucked. And then... Uh, we have a lot of our HomeKit stuff running through the Apple TV, and I've been keeping the Apple TV off of the 13 update as well. And that accidentally got updated while I was away to see my dad in Florida the other day. So, uh, you know, a lot of accidental updates happen, and uh, I think I'm having more HomeKit issues now because of the fact that so many devices are on one version of HomeKit, and my one my one lonely iPhone is not on the 13 version of HomeKit, so, yeah. Well, that's what you want your users to say when they get updated is, oh, crap, <laughs> it updated <laughs> when I wasn't looking. Uh, for the for what it's worth, though, Margo's phone has been fine. It hasn't been that much of an issue. There's been some HomeKit issues, which is probably the most frustrating thing, but I think everything else is, isn't a problem to her. So, um, Catalina... Uh, my Hackintosh will remain on Mojave possibly indefinitely, and we're going to talk more about that in the next episode. My, And then the last kind of fun thing, um, I just find my ways into weird technology situations all the time. My dad, when I was visiting him the other day, uh, he mentioned to me that he had this ancient MacBook Air sitting in his attic, basically, and it was not doing anything. It's a 2012 MacBook Air, 13-inch uh, um, it has four gigabytes of RAM, woo, and it has a single core that is, I think it's hyper-threaded. Uh, otherwise, it's du it's a proper dual core. I don't know. It The activity monitor says it has two cores. I don't know if it's hyper-threaded or not, but it supports Catalina. It supports the latest operating system, so I decided to uh, knock that bad boy out and install Catalina on it. I mean, it's only been seven yeah. years. I, <laughs> oh boy, he was running an operating system from... 2013 on it it was yosemite and i don't don't correct me if i'm wrong on that but i don't know if it's 2013 or later but it was ios or mac os 10.10 and catalina's 10.15 so it's five years old and in order to install it because my dad forgot his password i actually had to downgrade to 10.8 via apple's remote install uh tool 
I installed 10.8 and then updated from 10.8 to 10.14 because I could not directly update from 10.8 oh to 10.14. So I couldn't update from Mojave to no from Mountain Land to Mojave. So I <laughs> I skipped several iterations from Mountain Lion to Mojave. Uh, I didn't really configure anything because I wanted it to be as blank as possible. So I logged into a few things with Mojave. Uh, and then I updated to Catalina from Mojave before installing anything as well. So I think I have the cleanest version of Catalina that I could possibly have on this thing. And it was a very interesting By trip. clawing your way out of the stone <laughs> Dude. It was to the point <laughs> where I don't believe Apple had two-factor authentication set up properly, or at least how they do today on macOS. And when I tried to log into my Apple account, the computer is saying... I don't understand what's going on. And I got a text message from Apple saying, here's your two-factor authentication code that you need to use. And the computer didn't understand that at all. I was like, uh, I, you gave me the right password, but Apple's not letting me in. I don't know what happens next. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't log in before I got to Mojave because two-factor didn't work. So, anyway, I hope that's as interesting to y'all. I mean, God, 2012, yeah. I can't even... I can't even picture what that year was like in terms of... <laughs> it's a better year. Like, I don't even know if two-factor existed. It, you know I, mean, I mean, it did, but it definitely Because it, it hasn't become a big deal until recently. Yeah, yeah right. When peop, you know sites and services and people yeah. have become more conscious of security, and so two-factor is, is a lot more common yeah. now. God, I don't even know if I knew what it was back in 2012 or 13. Right, we were still in college. Um, I think the... The craziest thing about this MacBook, though, is just the fact that when it works, and it actually doesn't work too bad, uh, I've definitely been able to get the fans to spin up pretty, pretty loud. And in future episodes, I do want to talk about programming and whatnot and um, what I plan on doing in 2020 with that. And I did install Xcode on this MacBook Air. It took, I think, two hours to install. It was crazy, but I got my project loaded onto this MacBook. I tried to launch it, and what takes my Hackintosh a about 40 seconds to a minute to launch, it took the MacBook Air about 15 minutes to launch. So, Because that, that includes build time and all that? That's, yeah, straight build time, um, launching a simula- uh, the iOS simulator, uh, mm-hmm. and launching it the first time. So, yeah, um, it's... I don't think I'm going to be doing any development on this thing, but it's, it's a kind of a fun... Not a social experiment, but a just a workflow experiment to see how I can use this thing. Cause mm-hmm. programming at least might be possible. I might be able to write the code, but I don't think I'm going to be able to test it even slightly. Yeah. The cycle there is like, you got to wait 15 minutes just to find out if what you did yeah. is correct or not. I can at least see it. Well, actually I haven't tested to see whether or not type inference uh, works rapidly or not. I, I would imagine it'll work. It just, the fans will probably be at a hundred percent and the CPUs will be pegged at 100% constantly, but I suspect it should work because type inference on my on my Hackintosh is immediate. Yeah, so, it's like seamless on most yeah, modern setups. Yeah, Right. It should be pretty fast, so I should at least be able to see that I don't have any glaring issues, but non-glaring issues, anything that takes build time to really be able to test, I don't think I'm going to be able to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway... I hope that I really do hope that's as interesting as I find it because it is absolutely fascinating to me. So, 
Uh, well, developing story for sure. <laughs> uh, hey, that is a very clever thing. You should do this for a living. <laughs> Next uh, piece of follow-up, you have some PlayStation news to talk about. Yeah, well, okay. So there's actually, a, if we generalize it to PlayStation news, oh, there's yeah. more than one thing. Okay, start with the start with the, the best one, you think? So the well, the best one is clearly the PS5 has officially been announced for next holiday season, 2020. So the name so, has been announced? Yeah, and they announced when it's releasing. So next year, uh, probably around November. Okay. There's cool. no details on the console or anything like that, um, mm-hmm. aside from some generalities. But uh, they've said it's coming. They, they've said that it's called the PlayStation 5. So that's pretty nice. big and cool news. Nice. Actually, I will mention they they did um they did say a couple things about it. One is that backward compatibility is going to be very important part of the PlayStation 5. Good. To a large extent actually. So the current VR headset is actually going to be compatible uh for the PlayStation 5 and this might be optimistic, but I'm hoping that they go back to like PlayStation two games and PlayStation one games and even mm-hmm. sell those in their store. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. that would be super cool if totally you could agree. buy those old games digitally and, and play them on the PlayStation five from the Xbox world. I can tell you it is awesome. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know Xbox said that for a bit. Yep. I, Cause I do have an Xbox one and I've been considering picking up fable Mm, and playing mm-hmm. that because I, I used to like those games a lot. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the the news that we were f- actually following up on is PlayStation Remote Play, which is a feature where you can play your PlayStation 4 games remotely. So on the go on your laptop or phone or tablet. Uh, and I think it was in the last episode we had talked about this and... Uh, at the time, Remote Play was only available on uh, Mac, Windows, iOS, and Sony's own Android phones or tablets. Mm-hmm. But they just recently uh, expanded Remote Play so that it's supported on any Android device. So they opened nice. it up, and it's not closed to Sony's own platforms. The The tricky thing is that you need Android 10 for the controllers to be detected and working. Oh, yeah. Yep. So unfortunately, my Tab S6 does not have Android 10 quite yet, and neither does my phone. So I can't actually use it, but I can, I can open the app. <laughs> it's there. It's there. Yeah, it's tantalizingly close. Um, what games are you going to play on it when you can? Well, I'm kind of hoping... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to test it out because I play a lot of Overwatch. Mm-hmm. But uh, remote play can obviously introduce some latency and mm-hmm. and delays. So in a competitive game like that, even if it's you know just quick play, not competitive mode, I'm not sure how competitive I will be. <laughs> so I'd have to test out and just kind of see what the latency is like. Um, yeah. yeah, give it a shot. Unless you have like a, do you have, is there ratios or stats that you're trying to keep perfect in order to avoid? Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. play uh, a couple of characters that 
like damage shooters, so snipers and um, handguns and just characters where I kind of like to keep my accuracy high. Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, I'm not really into the, like the competitive modes or anything, so it's mostly quick play. Okay. But at the same time, I don't like to be bad. Totally. So I do mm-hmm. keep an eye on my accuracy, and I try to improve that and and stay good. But uh, I, I think it would be harder on something like that with with the little bit of extra latency just yeah. to make that a little bit more challenging. Yeah. I think you should give it a shot, honestly. Like one yeah. one match isn't that big of a deal. I think you should give it a shot just to oh, see. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, how it goes. I, I would definitely try it out. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is like single-player games. The Outer Worlds, which just recently released, I'd like to try that because if I could play that on my tablet or, or, you know, I don't think I'd play it on my phone, but play it on my tablet, yeah, uh, that'd be cool because uh, I wouldn't be locked down in my yeah. council that, in my office. Yeah, that said though, you could get like one of those little clips, put it on the PlayStation controller, put your uh, phone on that little clip. Uh, Actually, I, I had one. Oh yeah, I plan on getting one. I plan on getting one for when I update to iOS 13 and give Apple Arcade a shot because mm-hmm. obviously uh, as one of the big features for 13 is that uh, Xbox One and PlayStation 4 controllers are supported. And I believe every single Apple Arcade game also supports controller support as well. So there's hundreds, There's I think there's literally more than 100 games now. And if all of them support controllers like that's a no-brainer i'm gonna buy a ten dollar piece of plastic and yeah uh, you know use my controller with it that sounds awesome yeah it was very cool i had a mount uh that my phone would go on to that just attached to the dualshock 4 yeah. controller and uh i played a few games in emulators yeah. that way it was it was very nice probably more popular today than ever all right so the next point of follow-up and what I'm going to have some fun with in editing this is that as of now, you would not have been tipped off by this yet. I made new artwork for this show. So uh, the chapter marker for this is the new album art and going forward. We I had a little bit of fun. So a little bit of background uh, before the show launched. Uh, I had a couple ideas for the show artwork, uh, put it together. I overall like the concept, but I think the execution definitely uh, could have been better. I think I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna keep it around because someday I might do something again with this old album artwork. But I'm gonna keep it, you know, as a concept. But this new album artwork, I'm very excited about. So, new album artwork. It's nice and colorful as well as a more official uh, active discourse tag or uh, active discourse header as well as a tagline. And what we have here is a iPhone 10. Uh, right next to literally split down the middle with a Galaxy S10 uh, sitting right next to it, basically. All combined as if it was one phone. And obviously the idea here is that we want to discuss both sides of the technology ecosystems. So um, now uh, the use of the S10. Now, Bo, I know that you don't have an S10 and I don't even think you're going to be getting an S10 either. But uh, as of right now, I think that the S10 is a little bit more recognizable as an Android phone than the S9. Do you agree with that statement? I don't disagree with it. Okay. I want. I wanted to use <laughs> I, the I S10. Think they're, 
I think they're probably pretty close in terms of recognizability. Right. But I, I think the, especially for people who will be listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, people who people who aren't as invested in uh, mobile tech, they probably would think of that phone as a Samsung. Not as an Android. Yeah, you're right. Yes, yes. Uh, I guess I could use the <laughs> Pixel instead, but I don't know. It's hard to define what exactly an Android phone looks like per se, because it could, you know, we could use the Galaxy Fold, or we could use the Razer, whatever. So, but the iPhone, uh, the iPhone 10, uh, 10s and 11 all look the same from the front. So <laughs> that was right. easy on my part. So I decided to use the iPhone 10 because I currently have it. It is using the iPhone 10 background because it's it seemed to go a little bit more aesthetically pleasing with the Galaxy S10 background. And further intention, we're going to obviously going to keep the the baseline of this. We're going to keep the the corners of it, the active discourse uh, all the same, but when you get a new phone, I'm going to update the album art to use that new phone. And then when I get a new phone, I'm going to update it again and I'm optimistic that the wallpapers will match as well as they do now because this is such a perfect perfect amalgamation of backgrounds but if it doesn't well whatever we'll figure it out so you're right that is optimistic yeah it's very optimistic because <laughs> if i already you know we it... should probably get our feedback into uh into the major companies right now mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just to have them collaborate on making sure that their wallpapers match with other manufacturers Everyone deserves nice wallpapers. Because that, and if because that would same, help us yes, a lot. It would really help us a lot, yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, if, if, just for example, if I were to use the iPhone 11 artwork with the Galaxy S10 artwork, oh, it would not match at all. So, oh, well, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, so far, I'm really, I'm really happy with this. I designed this on uh, the plane out to Florida as well as exclusively on the iPad as well. I drew it using the Apple Pencil, and then I finished it also with the Apple Pencil as well as with the keyboard all on the iPad. No no Mac required to do this artwork. And super, super happy about it. So Very cool. Yes. Um the last That's thing great. the last thing to discuss for the cover art, which is just in general about the show, the tagline, Technology Roundtable. That is right now my favorite tagline for this show. But I do believe there probably is a better tagline to use. I just can't think of it. So if anyone comes up with that, let me know. Yeah, hit up seekanddefine at gmail.com if y'all have any ideas for the show, for the artwork, the tagline, things like that. Yep, greatly appreciated. So before we go into our topic for the day, I want to uh, do a shout out for another show uh, they they don't sponsor us by any stretch of the imagination but i want to make a quick mention that i really really like the android central podcast a lot i have been listening to the android central podcast for several years now i think it dates back to like 2013 or 2014 it was i started listening to the android central podcast around the same time that i started listening to MacBreak Weekly when I first started listening to podcasts and, you know, just at the end of college for me in around 2014. So Android Central has been a guiding light for my understanding of Android for a long time. I haven't had an iPhone or I've only had an iPhone basically since I started listening to them, but I love hearing what they have to say. The 
They've had a, a lot of different hosts on their shows. Um, I want to call out very, very specifically uh, Jerry and Andrew, who are they're, they're prominently featured on this show. They've they've been on it on several different episodes. They they rotate between their different co-hosts every single week it's you know there's sometimes new voices there's sometimes old voices jerry and andrew are on there constantly but not every show i love the insight that they bring to this show the show is obviously very very android focused but unlike other android shows that i have attempted to listen to and stopped listening to they do not forget that android is not in a bubble and there are other ecosystems out there apple microsoft amazon whatever they take into account all the different ecosystems that are out there and they don't forget about it and if android does something one way and they would prefer it to go another way they know how the other ecosystems work and can share good insightful commentary on how other platforms uh, implement a, a certain feature so it's not they don't live in a bubble. A lot of Android shows, I believe, do live in a bubble, and that is fine to an extent, but it's it makes it hard for me to listen to. I'm not really their target audience, I guess, but I'm an audience. I'm a, I am a target audience. Maybe not the target audience, but an a target audience. So, absolutely love them. Uh the most recent show that I was just blown away by and is the reason why I wanted to mention them on this small little segment here is their Q&A session from November 1st. You know, they they talked about a lot of different things. They basically cleared their deck of follow-up, um, got some great people on the show, Jerry and Andrew, very specifically around there. And yeah, they they did a great job with that episode. So I just want to call that out right now. Do you listen to them, Bo? I haven't, no. Okay. Do you listen to any Android podcast at all? Uh, no, actually, I don't. Okay. Uh, to be honest, I haven't listened to a lot of podcasts in general. Uh, That's up fair. until the last couple of years, I hadn't really at all. But then, you know, last year or two, I started listening to them. But that was mostly uh, things like Opening Arguments, which is uh, kind of a law and politics podcast. Mm. But uh, weirdly enough, I haven't listened to tech podcasts. So... You're coming in fresh. You get to provide yeah. your own fresh opinion on how it should be done. Cool. Good. Yeah. Um, so that's Android Central. So into the topic for the day. Today we're going to recap 2019. The year isn't over, obviously, as we talked about before. Uh, December, though, is not very wild. You know, we're from the Apple perspective, the Mac Pro will be released. There'll be news about that and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But if anything big comes up between, you know, the middle of November as we record this and the end of December, we'll talk about it. But, um, you know, we've had 11 and a half months or so of news stories that have come up. And we want to talk about that today because in December, we want to uh, talk about 2020 going forward, seeing what we're excited about for 2020 and the things that we plan on doing. So we are going to talk about, we're, we're, at least I'm going to keep my stories that I'm going to focus on into kind of three relatively broader categories. Um, the first category is going to be the biggest obvious news story that I want to talk about from the year. Uh, and Watershed then, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The The biggest thing that I think that will define Apple for 2019 and honestly will 
be in the record books as this is the year of blank for Apple. You can imagine what that's going to be. And then the uh, picture books. Weird, right? The next one is less obvious stories. uh, Something that might not be, you know, when people think about 2019, what is, what is it? What is it? It's less obvious. So, and then lastly, a story that is either niche or not as big or relevant or whatever, but I think is going to have a bigger impact on the year to come. So um, I am going to kick this off with a simple question. Okay. Bo, how do you think 2019 went for Google and Android? Uh, It feels like the calm before... I don't, I don't want to say storm, but calm before the storm because it's it's yeah. almost like maintenance mode and the biggest things are going to happen next year. That's what it feels like to me. Interesting. What's a big thing that you think will happen next year? Just kicking it off. New form factors. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The... That's that's the big thing to me is that we're we're it finally seems like we're going to get out of the black slab mentality. Are you going to talk about that in your one of your news stories? I may. Okay, then we'll we'll not steal your thunder on that one. All right, so let's start with you and mm-hmm. your biggest obvious watershed moment. Yes. So what's going to define Apple for 2019 is the focuses on services. 2019 is the year of services for Apple. Yeah, so that was a shift. Huge, huge shift for Apple. Awkwardly enough... I have not used almost any of these Apple services that were announced this year, but I'm going to talk about them anyway. Well, so, so what are some of them? Just to recap, we've got, I, I know about Apple TV plus. Hmm. Um, so chronologically, news. yeah, chronologically for the year, Apple released news plus, which is just a paid subscription service to their news app that they have. Um, and then I believe, they didn't really have too much over the summer until the fall when they released Apple Arcade. Uh, and then they released Apple TV just a couple weeks ago. They released an Apple Card. Uh, and they did have some continued services. They have Apple Music. They have Apple Care. They have iCloud Drive. Um, let me double check to see if there's anything absolutely major that is missing from that. But those are really the... Those are the hot ones. Apple services. Yeah, the, as as someone who doesn't use Apple products, the two that uh, seemed loudest to me were Arcade and TV Plus. Yeah. And personally, I'm quite glad that you haven't thought about news because news, uh, we're going to talk about that. Okay, so let's see here. Some that I have missed. Uh, no, I, I said iCloud. Apple Pay is another big service that they launched a couple years ago, and it's a pretty damn big service for them. So I believe the way Apple Pay works is that they take like a very minute percentage from every transaction made with Apple Pay. I think, I don't know if it's one, it's not 1%, that's insane. It might be anywhere from half a percent to a tenth of a percent, but still every single payment made with Apple Pay, a tenth of that let's just say a tenth of a percent of that revenue goes to apple that's that's pretty wild um and then apple care maps siri so that's though it is all of their services so 
So all of the services that Apple offers, at least on a very high, broad scale, there is Apple Music, their app stores, so for iOS and Mac, iCloud, iTunes, Apple Books, Apple Pay, Apple Care, Maps, Siri, and then the new ones that they've launched this year, which is News Plus, Apple TV Plus, and Arcade. So those are all of the services that Apple has. Several of the biggest obvious ones were launched this year. Okay. That's quite a few more than what they had because Apple's been hardware. Right. Apple's historical uh, focus has been hardware, um, and I, I believe they're focusing on services just because they have so much of their presence with iPhones. People buy just a ton of iPhones. And if you even get a couple of them to give you $5 a month for Apple Arcade, a couple dollars a month for Apple TV, Apple Music, etc., that's even more revenue that Wall Street gets to like. And I'm not really going to talk too much about Wall Street at all, but I mean, that's kind of the general gist of why they're doing all this. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, I'd say that's an industry wide kind of movement. And not even specifically this industry, but services is becoming the new thing. It's it's not products anymore. There's a lot more focus on services. So it, it doesn't surprise me to see Apple uh, kind of join that club because it's, it's continued revenue, essentially. Right. Um, so uh, as I kind of mentioned before, it, it is a little awkward for me to talk about this just because of the fact that I haven't actually used many of these services. Um so let's let's ring through and talk about why and my thoughts on these. So Apple Arcade, uh, I have not given Apple Arcade a shot yet because uh, it was hindered by iOS 13's launch, uh, but I will be giving it a shot when I have my iOS, my iPhone updated to iOS 13 and as well as when I'm done playing Pokemon. So I'm looking forward to giving Arcade a shot. That is, I think, the bright shining service that they launched this year that I'm excited about. Uh, news has been entirely uninteresting to me. Uh, I used their non-subscription-based app uh, last year, and it was fine, but it never really kept my attention either. The user interface wasn't great. Uh, For whatever reason, I do like the user interface for Reddit a little bit more for how I get news, just because I have a little bit more control over what I see. But at the same time, I can see why news would, you know, a curated news source would be a good idea. It just... The implementation hasn't been great, and I. It's an ex, it's an expensive service too. It's ten dollars a month. So Apple Arcade, for perspective, is five dollars a month, and you get access to a hundred games, hundred plus games, whatever's available on the App Store that is part of Arcade. Five dollars a month, and that's games. News uh, is ten dollars a month, uh, and I don't know. The interface isn't great. I think that if it delivered a I don't even know what I'd be looking for, honestly. I don't even know what I would be looking for in a news app, so maybe I'm not really the right target audience for it. Yeah, so for a news app, I mean, what's the what's kind of the interface intended there? Is it just a feed of the latest stories broken into categories maybe? Yeah, like you know, it's it's like every other news app, honestly. Like it's it's not anything out of the ordinary. So I wonder why they put it as a subscription. They they do have Apple News dedicated content i don't know enough about it honestly but it's yeah it's not 
really enough from what I understand to be that interesting because the way the app works, it just has at the top, here's the things you should know, the top five things you should know. You can get that from CNN. You can get that from any any news app that you want to use. And then in which case, when you keep on scrolling, it says, here's a category, here's the things that are going on in this category and yada, yada, yada. And it, it's, it's not new. It's not revolutionary. That's easy mm. to understand. And at that, there's a crap ton of white space in the app. It's not overall great from what I have heard about News Plus is that there's it's still riddled with ads in the actual articles themselves. And so, you know, you're supposed to be paying for this to get the curated the curated news sources, which you are getting, no question about that. But then also a, a better experience, a better reading experience. But if I have to constantly scroll through like ads, if there's even more than two ads in a single article, that's too much for me if I am also paying $10 a month for this service. So, yeah. So if you're paying, it doesn't remove ads. You still see ads if you're paying the subscription. Yes. yes. Interesting. Yes. It, it might only be ads for more. Like if you're reading the Wall Street Journal, it might be ads for more content from the Wall Street Journal. Mm. But I don't know. $10 is a lot. So we'll we'll see. And there's been some recent articles about how news hasn't really performed extremely well. But anyway, Apple TV, uh, another one I'm pretty interested in. It's This one is really the one to keep an eye on because of the fact that, one, that price is too low. It'll probably go up at some point. And two, how does the content continue to be delivered uh, the the launch shows you can't always expect it to be an absolute game changer at the start i from what i understand they're all pretty good they're fine it's a good start whatever i look forward to checking them out and uh, and then seeing anything else new that comes out uh, but I'm also not really interested in watching each episode as they release. I do like, so you actually helped me get to this point. Uh, you binged Game of Thrones, and mm. I really, really like that approach now. Um, I actually might have enjoyed the last episode, the last season of Game of Thrones if I had binged it instead of watched it serially. Yeah, I, that's how I like to watch everything. That's why I like the Netflix model mm-hmm. of just dropping a whole season's worth of content at the same time rather than what Hulu does with their originals, which is they release uh, like the traditional uh, one a week kind of thing. So yeah, I, for pretty much any show I watch and it's just kind of worked out that way. It's nothing I intended to do really. But when I first started watching Breaking Bad, I was, it's like I, I started up after a lot of people. So the show was already uh, in season four or maybe even getting into season five at the time. So yep. it was closing in on, on the end. And uh, it was really only at that time that I started watching it. So I caught up to where it was just before there was more content coming. And then uh, I think I did the same thing for uh, Mad Men. Yeah. Which actually, surprisingly enough, you are the one who got me started on Mad Men. Yep. Even though you weren't watching it at the time. Yep, that's right. Because you just we were over at your place and you just put on the first episode of Mad Men while we were just kind of sitting there hanging out. Yep. On uh your Apple TV. And <laughs> and uh yeah, that set me off on the whole journey and uh that's the awesome. show I think was done at that time. So that was yeah. another one where I was able to just binge through you know, seven seasons of content. 
Yeah. So I think it actually ended in 15 and I believe you started watching around 15, 16 or maybe 17. Yeah. But yeah. something like that. And, so yeah, yeah, it wasn't something like I intended to do. It's just kind of worked out that way. And I'm, I'm glad it did because mm-hmm. yeah, it makes shows so much more co- coherent. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people they'll, they'll see a new season coming and maybe if it's a, if it's a show they really like, maybe they'll go back and watch the last few seasons right before the new one comes out or something. But Right. Um, that's just kind of built in in the way I do it. So, yeah. And so that's the only reason why I haven't checked out Apple TV yet, but you know, it, it, it sounds perfectly fine. I'd pay, I think it's, well, actually, so I actually don't have to pay for it because I still have a student subscription to Apple music and, uh, Apple TV just comes with it. So that's pretty great. Um, so I actually won't have to pay for Apple TV. So, uh, I look forward to using it. Um, then someday, Fancy Mr. Everything. Okay. Yeah, someday, someday, if the student subscription goes away, uh, then I have to make a harder decision. So, um, kind of wrapping wrapping up my part of this story is that uh, I do have Apple Music as well. I have used Apple Music for a few years now. I like it enough. It is, it definitely can be better, and I really hope it gets better soon. For example, um, I mean, I don't use Spotify too much. My last experience with it wasn't wasn't absolutely killer but it was fine there is however the apple music is open to other developers tapping into apple music and creating their own app for it marvis is a app that can tap into apple music and play apple music and i believe it's laid out dramatically better than how apple music is actually laid out so i don't know um the services for 2019 has been a very, very important thing for Apple. And, you know, in the next couple of years, I will be very curious to see specifically if news continues. I would imagine, I know music will continue. I believe TV will continue and I know arcade will continue, but I, I don't know. I don't know if news will. Services is big for me this year. Uh, what is your... Biggest, what is the biggest thing that you want to talk about from 2019 from Google? Well, Android? we gave a little tease on it earlier. Yes, we did, didn't we? Yeah. So the the biggest thing to me is that there are new form factors for mobile devices on the horizon, which is exciting because it's, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, nice. we've had to deal with kind of samey looking devices for, for quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Galaxy Fold um, is arguably the one that set it off. Uh, it's, it wasn't the first one to market, obviously. Um, yeah, CES in 2019, I believe it was CES, CES at, or CES or it was um, Mobile World Congress where uh, Huawei and Samsung both talked about the production versions of their folding phones. Mm-hmm. I think there was a third, too, that might have yeah. been. Um, I don't remember. What I that can't one remember the was. name of it right now. Um, uh, something FlexPi. Uh, anyway, yeah, three, yeah. three of them. Yeah. One of them so is probably there, the most. There were important. a few of them kind of fighting for the the, yeah. the first folding device, and uh, Samsung's was arguably the one that set it all off. They've had mm-hmm. kind of uh, videos. Uh, kind of previewing that technology for a couple of years, I think. Um, and so they weren't the first to market, but they were the one with probably the most mind share yep. in the market. Yep. And 
the launch was riddled with some oh yeah troubles yeah right. but uh i think it's it's uh, a sign of things to come because uh now we've got the motorola razor revival on the horizon mm-hmm. which is looking really cool mm-hmm. um and next year we've got things from microsoft the surface uh duo and what's the other one neo, neo. yep uh, which are folding devices, but they use they don't fold the screen. There's actually two screens that fold right. uh, with a hinge, um, which is very similar. And for for most people, I I think it would do the trick because yeah, yeah it's great if we can figure out how to fold glass. But right now we have to make at least the part that's folding plastic because we don't yeah. know how to fold glass yet. We don't know yeah. how to make it flexible without making it break yeah that and having the interface like having you know if you the the microsoft approach which is to have two screens that fold together instead of one folding screen that allows microsoft to start developing what does two screens or a super wide or larger screen look like when it's essentially two screens on Mm -hmm. a phone which is not something that we've ever seen before i mean at least in real numbers like we're about to yeah so that's that's what I'm very excited about, and that, it looks like it's really going to start kicking off next year. Yeah. So uh, I'm very interested in Microsoft's offerings, especially with the Surface Duo, which yeah. is the uh, phone slash tablet device. Um, I I'm thinking it's going to be a little wide, even when it's folded. Sure. Uh, so I, I don't know how how it'll fit into pockets even when it's in its smallest form but it yeah. looks really cool and and I'm I'm very interested to see more things come from that especially what they do in terms of software and and how they utilize that form factor and then just seeing other companies kind of jump on the bandwagon you know uh exploring other kinds of things cuz uh it's it's been a little bit of a plateau of of getting out of like the the weird creativity that we had when, when uh, smartphones were first becoming uh, ubiquitous. So, right, we're we're finally seeming to climb off that plateau and maybe maybe head upward a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, we we maximized what a a square, a rectangle can be uh, if it, with a single screen. So, cool. Johnny Ive leaving Apple. Um, is the other huge story from 2019 and the impact of Johnny Ive leaving Apple won't be as obvious until at least 2020 if not maybe even later than that because the way products are developed inside large companies like this it's all long long lead times I guarantee the design for the next generation iPhone is actually probably already finalized and they're just working on trying to figure out how to actually make the damn thing and Johnny, I've probably had an influence in the actual design of that. So we will probably still see some influence of Johnny, I've being inside Apple for a, several years still. But I also believe that we have already seen it demonstrated this year as well. So overarching Apple as a company will look very different from a design perspective. We will look 100% different for today as it will in like two, three years from now. But I also do believe we're starting to see that shift as well. And I believe 
we have seen that in the iPhone 11 series. So Ive is it was the uh, design lead, right? For for a lot of departments, was was he the? You know, what was his position? Uh, uh, Johnny Ive was the chief design officer, and that's a pretty broad title. But basically, everything from industrial design and as of I think twenty uh, whatever, whenever iOS seven came out, um, he was also the. Uh, graphical interface uh, lead as well. So everything from iOS to what the iPhone looks like to the Mac Pro, the MacBook Pro, and Apple's campus, all all headed up by Johnny. He is the head of creativity at Apple and has been uh, for a long time. Uh, Apple has lost a very very important design head inside the company but i believe though we have already seen the influence of johnny ive being out of the company in a product series that has been released this year which is the 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 iphone 11 series Uh, i expect the team in charge of the 11 series wanted to focus on battery life and camera quality Um, ultimately that required a thicker and heavier phone and Ultimately, I've approved that move at around probably this time last year, if not earlier than that. The iPhone 11 series would have had to have been finalized. The, the plan of attack, the the design of it would have had to have been approved a long, long time ago in order for them to spin up all the manufacturing lines they'd need to do the testing they'd need to do. And ultimately, that was approved by Johnny Ive. And what the 11 is, it's a thicker and heavier phone. It has kind of a ugly looking camera sensors, um, but it's there and it's it's powerful and it's good. The I I think that the iPhone 11 has been highly praised by everyone in the industry who's reviewed it. They've said that it has the best battery life of any phone ever made, or of any iPhone ever made. Um, and that it also has some incredible camera capabilities. And I'm hoping that given the high praise for the 11 series, the teams that pitched this idea to Johnny to say, hey, can you approve this? We want to do this. And he says, yeah, go ahead, go for it. That these teams continue to have such a strong influence on all the products that Apple releases. Um, This influence, not as dramatic, but can also be seen in the pro focus design decisions that Apple's made in the last couple of years, which has manifested itself in the Mac Pro, the 2016 in, or the 16 inch MacBook Pro that was just released this last Friday. And I also believe going back to the 2018 Mac Mini from last year, all of these have a very special pro focus, unlike pretty much any other Apple product ha- or Apple has released in the last several years, maybe dating back to about 2015, 20. 13 maybe it's interesting and i think that we're already starting to see uh the influence of johnny i leaving apple and i think that at least so far this has been good that's all i have to say about that okay so johnny ive big influence yeah but he is gone from the apple world yeah i find it fascinating because they do say that they're still working with his design firm he started up a company and they're still going to work with them I have no idea how that's going to manifest itself. Right, no so maybe he's just not kind of personally involved. Um, right. Maybe he's, maybe his firm is is 
tackling it, but uh, as an individual, he's not really overseeing much. Yeah, I don't know. And, like, that's mm. the thing. I the, It's a design firm. I, I don't know enough about Johnny's new company, but Apple has designers inside their own company. I, I don't really know how they're going to work together. Maybe they'll talk about it someday, but yeah. it just didn't make any sense to me. So, hmm. Yeah. What's your okay. second what's your second uh thing to discuss? Mine is uh is really about the way messaging works right now. Okay. And how hopefully it will start to work. Uh Google has been working to push out the RCS messaging protocol. Now, RCS is it stands for rich communication services. Yep. So it's it's intended to replace SMS, which is the uh, the current protocol that everyone refers to as texting. When you when you send an SMS, you aren't texting somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so RCS is and, and obviously SMS has a lot of limitations. It's like size. Uh, if you send an MMS, if you send a picture, that's mm-hmm. an MMS and and the the quality is going to be murdered when you do that like if you send a picture <laughs> yeah. it's it's not going to look great on the other end it's going to degrade quite a bit yeah. uh just because of the size limitations um and and there's quite a few other limitations that RCS is looking to overcome so RCS is intended to do chat over Wi-Fi mm-hmm. sending and receiving high quality media uh, red receipts, typing indicators, group chats, adding and remo- removing people from those groups. Yep. And those are all things that SMS and MMS just cannot do. Um, so RCS is, is kind of an attempt to, to kind of close the gap between texting, uh, traditional texting and the iMessage. Uh, yeah. apps that the that the Mac and iOS ecosystem has. Yeah, totally agreed. I I've uh, this has been a big topic that Android Central has been following over the last couple of years, um, but definitely it's been growing a lot this year. And I feel you, man. Um, I definitely do like texting texting uh, messaging folks. On, I definitely do like texting. Yeah, uh, I. I talking to folks on iMessage it is nice to see it's a real thing it really is a real thing where having a group and saying i'm not part of this group anymore removing yourself from that, that's a real thing god, nice. god i wish i had that in emails too right <laughs> at work um like i'm not involved in this take yeah. me off the list right uh <laughs> mess uh typing indicators uh just when i'm trying to text you things like last week when i was uh messaging you about the album art change um i tried i tried to send you a photo uh, of the changes that i was making and i remember us having an issue with it delivering um and here's the reason why that i believe that was happening because apple is trying to force uh sms to work uh between ipad iphone and you on the android side um, and so they, you essentially said, you're talking to my phone number and Apple is saying, yeah, but that phone number could be anywhere. And so it's on this iPad right now. And so when I tried to send it to you, um, something must've got messed up in the SMS communication f- 
area and it just didn't send. <laughs> yeah. So that would be nice to have fixed. Yeah. So it's, it's really a, uh, it's the motivation is to really modernize texting. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, and honestly, it's really kind of the U S this is really kind of a U.S. centric thing because most other places in the world use uh, chat apps, so right. things like yeah. WhatsApp and and Telegram, Signal. Well, I guess Signal is kind of an kind of a yeah. hybrid. But all, um, all all these things that RCS has or is trying to do, all those are inside those apps as well. And so you know we should right. have a so yeah. So bringing RCS to the forefront really would give the U S market, uh, where we use texting pretty much exclusively. Like Mm -hmm. most people do not use chat apps here, like WhatsApp and things like that. Maybe Facebook messenger, but, uh, so this is really going to make texting more like chat. You're going to get a lot of those features, groups and, and, uh, media typing indicators, red receipts. Yeah. Uh, and, it's been such a long time coming. Like I feel like I've been hearing about RCS for years mm-hmm. and a lot of it is because of carriers. Mm-hmm. I think this would honestly be out there already if we didn't have to go through carriers. Right. Um, but just recently uh, Google has kind of finally gotten carriers to jump on board and, and kind of, uh, team up with a joint venture to standardize this thing. Right. So it's it's closing in, and really it couldn't come soon enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is like I said, it's been a thing for years. Like we've been hearing about RCS, and we're we're finally getting to the the early days of of being able to use it. Yeah. Right now, I think it's it's exclusive to. Google's own messaging app on Android. Yeah. Um, and I believe it's limited to certain people on certain carriers and whatnot. And Yeah. And I yeah. think you can maybe explicitly enable it, but I don't know a lot about it. So yeah. it's obviously early days. It's not like it's it's a huge launch and everyone's getting it. It's, it's probably a complicated thing. So From what I understand, we'll actually, Sprint is like the current carrier that is supporting it exactly as google would like it to be supported and yeah uh the other three um are not uh supporting it in the same way that sprint is supporting it so that is some fragmentation that needs to get fixed i i I think it'll get fixed and i think that you know there's been as you said and the reason why you brought it up basically that there's been more progress made in 2019 on rcs than probably in last several years about yeah, I think 2020 will be, again, the year that we see this kind of come to fruition. Yeah. Or at least I'm hoping. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, it, I think that when it's standardized um, on the carrier side, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple just says, yeah, we can do that too. I, I don't know how long it might take a year or two uh, for until Android, most Android phones finally actually do get this service. But I think when it's popular on Android, Apple will put it into, um, they won't advertise it very much, but they'll say, yeah, we support RCS and that'll be that. So, yeah, I've been wondering about that because 
it's obviously going to help immensely for Android to Android, mm-hmm. but unless Apple supports it, there's a lot of people that use iPhones. Right. They're not going to lead the charge. They're they're not going to lead the charge on it, but I think that when it's going to have to be something that Samsung comes out with because Apple's not going to be the first one to do it, but if Samsung comes out with it and then if all the carry all the manufacturers can kind of agree onto it or if Google says you need this now and then it's built into Android, just use this and they say okay, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. That will be I wouldn't what it takes. I wouldn't be surprised if the way that it works is that uh, Google is going to once all the manufacturers and carriers have it included or whatever if or I should say some of them because then they'll probably say if you want the Play Store yeah. on your phone you have to use RCS. Right. Because they they've done that for a bunch of things in the past. If you want the Play Store, if you want Google Apps on your phone uh, when you sell it, you have to do this. You have to support this or or include this. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way they play this, just to get everyone on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. Sometimes people need to be forced to do the right thing. All right. So my last story that I want to talk about today, the very strong likelihood that Apple has hinted that an ARM Mac is coming in the next couple of years. So um, I'm going to share a clip inside this episode right now. This is going to be something new for the show that I'm going to put in a clip from another podcast. Um, Marco Arment, the developer of Overcast, created this amazing feature where you can cut out snippets of podcasts and share it with other folks. And so I'm going to do that. And I'm going to share this snippet from the Upgrade podcast. I believe it was in July. Um, and I'll share a link to this episode uh, in the show notes as well. But in this episode, uh, Jason Snell talks about how Apple, in their earnings report that they give to Wall Street, they specifically called out that they would have sold more Macs if Intel had hit their timeline that they gave Apple. And they have never said anything like that before. They've. I'm just going to let Jason Snell tell you about this. You can hear the papers, Mike. You can hear. Oh, really? You can hear when somebody's asking a question. You can hear the shh, 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 as they move the papers around of like, what's my prepared answer for that? Wow. And sometimes they don't have it or they have it partially. And what you get from Tim Cook in those scenarios is like, well, you know, as we said, this fact that I already said that doesn't quite answer your question. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in general, we think and you can see that they he's not he's not making up an answer there. He is parsing what he's what they've agreed that he's willing to say so so yes this was and this was in the scripted part like throwing intel under the bus was in the script so there there we are there we are we are at the point where apple is more or less openly hostile to the provider of processors on Macs, and uh we all know where this goes next what's just wild about this is it's kind of an aggressive thing to say to about a very very important partner like intel is when a partner specifically calls out another partner saying they really screwed up their product launch and it screws our our uh 
finances up as well. And they call that out in very specific terms saying, we would have done better if the other person did this. That's aggressive. That's really aggressive that you don't typically do to a partner that you're trying to keep on board and appeased. Typically, when you have a problem like this, you just say, and this is coming from the customer service guy, woo, um, you know, things didn't go well. Everyone's, there, there's some things that we would have hoped happened this quarter from our in, from our processor partner, but they're on schedule and in the next couple months, they'll be doing better. That's what you would say if you didn't have a backup plan to create your own processors going forward. And they make really, really good processors for their phones, for their for their iPads. Um, the T2 chip inside their Macs currently handles a lot of stuff that historically was handled by a processor. And they are now aggressively saying, Intel's screwing up and we don't like them. Or not necessarily don't like them, but we are not happy with how they're performing. And they're calling them out and saying this isn't good. So... Uh, you know, Jason's Jason's interpretation of that is that Apple is closer than ever to having a product launch without an Intel processor inside it. And I agree with him on that. Which is kind of full circle a little bit in a way. Because when did they start using Intel? It was like, what was it before that? PowerPC? PowerPC. So they obviously didn't control PowerPC as well, but they were pretty much the only buyer of PowerPC processors. But uh, the Intel transition, I think, started in 2005. So it's okay, so that's 14. On the scale years. of things, that's pretty short. Like, you know, 10, yeah, and, 15 but years. There also wasn't an alternative um, other than yeah. AMD. I mean, there was AMD, but they both make x86 processors. I personally don't completely understand why um, why AMD processors are not compatible because uh, from the Hackintosh community, they AMD Hackintoshes run great. Um, I think this will be an interesting thing to see where we go from here. I don't necessarily know if Apple will release a uh, a MacBook maybe with uh, Apple branded processor in it, but we're closer than ever to having a Apple branded x86 processor or whatever ends up replacing it. So, yeah, so that could end up changing the landscape quite a bit and it could put some pressure on Intel because they, oh. they are facing increased competition right now from right. AMD and, um, well, from, from ARM. Nvidia, Samsung from, from ARM, like, yeah. uh, Microsoft's, uh, I think it's their Surface X. Uh, Apple really screwed up the naming scheme because I want to say 10, but the Surface X, I believe that uses a Qualcomm processor. Uh, app, uh, Microsoft designed Qualcomm processor. And that's exactly basically what my, what Apple is going to do with uh, a MacBook at some point. They already do it with their Surface competitor, the iPad, but obviously those are apples and oranges ha funny comment there yeah it's a uh, microsoft sq1 arm processor co-developed between microsoft and qualcomm yeah and that should run intel uh intel based apps i see no reason why apple can't do the same thing and it might happen in 2020 the advent of arm is upon us hopefully it goes well (laughs) (laughs) hopefully it goes well so what is your last story for 2019 
Uh, well, okay, so the dumbest feud of all time ended in 2019. Oh, boy, what is that? <laughs> I have so many things in my mind about what that could be, but what is that? Google and Amazon. Oh. Oh, YouTube on um, yes. Fire TV? So, YouTube on Fire TV, oh. which I don't have a Fire TV, so I, that didn't really affect me. Yeah. But the Prime Video app finally <laughs> supports Chromecast and Android TV. That would be nice to I, have, I, right? <laughs> I don't think they have Chromecasts available for purchase on Amazon mm-hmm. anymore. They they removed that pretty much around the same time that they started this whole vendetta of of not having YouTube on Fire TV yeah. and Chromecast support and yeah. I remember uh, that. I remember that. It's just, so it's over now, huh? Did, yeah. Is that, At least in terms of it, supporting Chromecast and, yeah. and having YouTube on Fire TV and things like that. So did it end with a bang or with a whimper? Like, did all of a sudden, you know, one thing happen? Or So uh, Prime Video was available to be Chromecasted, and then YouTube showed up, like, the same day? Is that how it ended? It was, pr- it was at the same time. Uh, that those two kind of happened. So I think the two of them came together and said, <laughs> okay, this is stupid. So they finally just did it, and I think it was a whimper. Just like, okay, this isn't really helping us sell any more Fire TVs like we thought it would. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who had... I, I think Google had the upper hand there, but I can't be completely sure in that either, though. Right, yeah, I, I I don't know what the intent was. I don't know. I mean, it must not have worked out the way they thought. Who's my, who, you know, yeah. whichever side it was. My my oh. guess is that I don't know how popular the idea of Chromecasting is to the general user, but uh, you know, from a, a nerd or nerd perspective, I like the idea. But, yeah, and I use it a lot. You know, Steph's the using it right now. Yeah. The Prime Video app was available on Android TVs, and Android TVs are very clearly the market leader in smart TV operating systems. Um, and so, in which case, if it's, it has an Android TV, then it, you can Chromecast to it. So you'd think that if you're watching on your phone, Prime Video, you would want to cast there. And also, that also makes the need for a Fire TV box less important, even though a Fire TV box is the most com- uh, one of the most uh, important competitors to Chromecast, um, including the Apple TV as well. Um, and then in which case, you know, if you get a Fire TV box, you can't watch YouTube. That would be really frustrating. I, I feel a lot of things here that Amazon's the underdog in this instance, mostly because of the way how Android TV worked out for Google, I think. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. So that's over. Cool. Yeah. So, I, and I've used chromecast streaming with the prime video app on my phone a few times since then so i'm already benefiting from them making that choice putting the gloves down (laughs) yep and hopefully that means that other google products as well are probably sold on amazon um i don't know yeah i think to this day they don't sell the chromecast on amazon yeah which is i don't know that seems like a flex of yeah of power from Amazon. I think that's exerting too much control over their marketplace personally. Yeah, I could see that. Um, 
<clears throat> yeah, I can see that. I guess the, the good thing for Google, though, is the fact that since Android TV is so ubiquitous, you know, you get a Chromecast with every Android TV you buy. Right. So it's a built-in protocol there. I, you know, it's going to be a nice feature for those who, or it's going to be a nice tool for those who, I guess, want dedicated hardware. And I'm one who wants dedicated hardware, but you know, that's besides the point. I don't know. I, I think it's going to become less and less of a thing, and people are just going to use their TVs. So, yeah, cool. Right. I have another honorable mention. Honorable mention. Bring it on. And this one is ongoing. Oh, so it hasn't. It's not solved yet. Okay. Google Play Music versus YouTube Music. Oh, it's another yeah. dumb feud, and it's just Google versus Google. <laughs> what service does Google want to kill? The oldest story. There is Google versus Google. <laughs> yeah. So Google, uh, this might even be up to like two years ago now, announced that they were ending Google Play Music in favor of YouTube Music. Mm-hmm. And to this day, they are missing so many features mm-hmm. in YouTube Music that they may have even passed their initial date of killing play music or are rapidly approaching it. Yeah. And it's astounding because the YouTube music app is horrible and the service is bad and it should feel bad. (laughs) Okay. I mean, case in point, think about the way this works. Uh, When you're on YouTube proper, and you're mm-hmm. watching videos, not even music related, and you subscribe to a channel or you like a video, mm-hmm. that ends up in your account. So you can see those. Now, if you're in YouTube music, watching music videos or listening to music tracks, and you follow an artist or you like a track of theirs, guess where those end up? They end up in exactly the same place as the videos that you watched (laughs) when you were on YouTube proper. Okay. So, to me, and to everyone, that makes no sense. Because music and video are different things. Yes, you can watch music videos. But they're separate services. Like, I don't don't necessarily... Like I might watch a video of of um, a certain artist or something, but it doesn't mean I like their music. Yeah. Or I might like one of their tracks, but it doesn't mean I want to subscribe to their channel on YouTube. So yeah, it's they they need to separate that, and then you know on top of that, there's just a ton of features that they don't have yet in YouTube Music or things that they're missing. And I I think uh it would have been much easier if they had just rebranded play music as YouTube music, if they wanted to do that mm-hmm. and then give a minor graphical overhaul. It didn't need much, right? Give it a dark mode, maybe update it to the, you know, most recent material design, whatever. Didn't mm-hmm. need much, mm-hmm. but instead in typical Google fashion, they decide no, we need an entirely new app and an entirely new back end for this. Why use what we have already? <laughs> Why put ourselves yeah. through that? Yeah. 
So that's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine what's going to happen is no one's going to use YouTube music. And one of two things will happen, actually. They'll either kill play music anyway, mm-hmm. or they will go against the grain and realize, wow, people really don't like YouTube music. Maybe we should keep play music. Okay, so I don't think that um, second one's going to happen. Uh, I'll, I'll propose a third alternative. So just for the listeners, and I think you remember this, Bo, but for the listeners, uh, I actually have access to Google Play Music. Um, I am a YouTube premium now subscriber. I was a mm-hmm. red subscriber, uh, migrated to premium. So I have access to both of these services. Um, and, yeah, and just to, yeah. for, cl- to, for clarity purposes, yeah. if you subscribe to one, you get the other. Right. There was so something special, though. if you subscribe to YouTube though, premium, you get Play Music Unlimited or whatever. And if you subscribe to Play Music yeah. Unlimited, you get YouTube premium. I think there is something special, though, you had to do in order to subscribe to YouTube music in order to also get google play music because i believe there's some way to spend the exact same money but not get google play music i don't know how that works but i know that yeah, I'm not I, sure. I, I know that's a thing but i know i still do have access to google play music i have used it i have an active library that uh is linked to my youtube uh music uh, account i loved google play music back in the day i am actually almost willing to say that i like the Google play music interface more than Apple music. Um, there's certain integrations that make me want to use Apple music more than Google play, but in general, from a purely listening to music standpoint, I like the Google play music, uh, player, I believe more than Apple music. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think is saying something, but to the point, uh, one, I don't think that there's any chance that Google goes back and says, we're just going to keep Google Play Music. I think they've already sailed on that, especially because the name is bad. Probably. What would be nice, I don't think it's going to happen, but it would be nice if they took that code base and updated it. But the thing is, I don't think they've really updated that code base. And I don't think that they, I think it'd be a really, really tall task to totally revamp it, add in new features that they want to add in there. I think that they're just going to say, this code base, we're just going to let it linger, let it go, let it die and not reuse it for a relaunch of YouTube music. YouTube music, I think, has a better name, per se. Um, but I think that the third alternative... I don't think either of them is great, though. Right. So the third alternative is I think they kill both, and they launch a whole new service at some point. Actually, you know what? That's the most likely of the three. <laughs> it really feels like it. 100%. It really, really feels like it. because Yeah. And hopefully they do it better the next time. I want them to do it better. I mean, but, just call it Google Music. Sure. Why is it so difficult? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I don't get Google sometimes. Uh, a lot of people don't. Just their strategy don't. is just to do th- the same thing three times and <sighs> see which one kind of works. Yeah, yeah. But it's fr- like it works out sometimes. It does. But it's extremely frustrating other times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I I don't think I'm going to be unsubscribing from YouTube anytime soon because ad-free YouTube really is the best YouTube. So, yeah. It's, yeah. There is no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I I if they, if they don't fill out the missing features uh from YouTube Music that Play Music has mm-hmm. and 
separate the music streaming part of YouTube music from the video watching part of YouTube, then if they kill play music, I will probably move to Spotify or Apple music. Yeah. I, I don't think I would stay on board with YouTube music. Yeah. That's totally fair. So they, they've really got some work to do and they haven't been doing it because it's been a couple of years since this has been in the making and I, there's been hardly any movement at all in the YouTube music app or service. Right. So they've really got their work cut out for them. Developing story. Yeah. 2019. Crazy, crazy interesting year. Um, I think, I don't know from my, from my perspective, it seems like maybe Apple's year has been a little bit more game changing. I, I would classify, uh, 2019 is pretty solidly game changing actually bigger than i thought it was going to be so pretty happy with it and then you know i hope, hope 2020 is better for you so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward strongly to 2020 for several reasons because there's a new playstation coming out yep. uh cool things in terms of devices from microsoft and mm. uh, the razor you might be getting a new phone next year too yeah yeah quite possible yeah Mm -hmm. um the s11 is kind of shaping up to be cool um yeah so a lot of cool things coming down the pike a lot of cool things coming down for 2020 and i think that uh you know we're gonna dig into the things that we're most interested in for 2020 um we'll categorize what we're interested in for 2020 uh in the middle of december so yes it's been it's been fun thank you for uh discussing 2019 with me and thank you for listening everyone else and if you'd like to share any feedback any topic suggestions anything you might want to say on follow-up any corrections or comments whatever you want to say uh, you can feel free to reach us reach out to us at seek and define at gmail.com just as Bo had said earlier in this show um and someday we'll probably have something to reach out to us on twitter and maybe reddit Uh, But again, that's 2020 stuff. So we'll talk to you again uh, in December. Thank you. Bye.